Uh, this morning we are going to be continuing our walk through John. My name is Kendrick and I'm the, the lead pastor here at Calvary Church. It's great to have you um, worship with this morning as we continue our walk uh, through the Gospel of John. Last week we started the Farewell Discourse, the longest teaching of Jesus at one time in all the scriptures. It goes from John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. Today we'll be in chapter 14 where we left off last week. This is actually an awesome passage and we could spend weeks or even months on the theology that John touches on in these few verses we're going to look at this morning. However, we've got a lot of kids in here this morning. We've got food trucks that are heating up this morning. And so we're going to look at a bigger picture. And as we look at this passage, I want us to put ourselves in the place of the disciples, that who Jesus is addressing that morning or that evening. Right? We're at a place where our teacher and our rabbi, our disciple maker, is about to leave us. In the last three years, we've followed him. We know that he is the Messiah. We know that he has came to save the world and lead us to God the Father. We have given up everything to follow him. We've given up family and friends. We've given up our reputations and our job positions. All in an effort to to not only know God, but to become a part of God's kingdom for all of eternity. To dwell in his presence forevermore. But now we find out that our Messiah is leaving us. And this wasn't the plan that we had in mind. This didn't go how we thought things were. We're going to go. And we see as the scriptures learn, as the the disciples learn what's going to happen, we see that scripture teaches us that their hearts were troubled. It reminded me of a time several years ago when I was at a church and we were planning a massive outreach. And what we were doing is we were having a huge block party for the entire city. Like elected officials were going to come and we were just going to do this big, big outreach. And we invited an evangelism team from a local Christian college to be a part of this event. And the week prior to the event, we all gathered together to include this uh, outreach team. And it was a time that we set aside for prayer, but also during that time, there was a large portion of that time set aside for the evangelism team to help give us some tools and techniques about how to share our faith during this event. You should have seen the terror that came over people's faces as they realized the evangelism team was not going to be there to evangelize, they were going to do the evangelism. Right? And this tear, and that's not what they had in plan. That's not what they thought was going to happen. And really quick, that prayer time turned into question and answer time. Right? You're going to leave us, and there's an expectation that we have to do something. Right? It changes really quick. You have been there. Maybe it was the first time you drove a car and you sat in tons of hours of instruction in the classroom. You maybe sat alongside the driver and watched him as he drove. And he said, do you have any questions? And he said, no, I'm good. And then he gives you the keys and says, your turn. Now all of a sudden you got a whole bunch of questions. Right? You are behind the wheel. It is up to you. Well, that's where we are with his disciples. That's where Jesus' disciples find themselves. Jesus has just told them, I'm out. It's up to you. Here you go. And now we see a list of questions. Of course, who's the first disciple that has a question? Peter. Right? Peter throws out a question. We looked at this last week. Peter says, hey, where are you you going? 
And if you guys remember Jesus' response, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one day, one very, very long and perfect day, all of us that have put our faith in Jesus will be in the presence of Jesus. We will be experiencing his glory, we'll be in the place that he has prepared for us forever and ever. The troubles and trials that you and I are facing right now and that we will face in the future, and probably some of us are going to face in the much nearer future than we would like to, will pale in significance to the perfect place that he is preparing for us right now for all of eternity. Right, the assurance of a heavenly home at the end of life's road enables us to bear joyfully with the difficulties and struggles and the pain that maybe we are facing along the way. This morning we're going to look at Jesus' answers to two more disciples' questions. He's going to answer a question from Thomas and a question from Philip. And he's going to continue to assure them Right, this is going to be one of the most difficult nights that they're going to experience. Some of them will leave Jesus. Some of them are, are, are just going to break down and cry and run. This is going to be a difficult situation, and Jesus knows what's coming. And he continues to assure his uh, disciples. Let's go ahead and open up to chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. Chapter 14, verse 5. And Thomas said to him, speaking to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way?
lost state to a different point. He's able to take them to reconciliation. He's able to take them to be healed and put back together and whole again. He's able to take them to life with the Holy God. Faith in Jesus, right? When we put our faith in Jesus, it shatters that barrier of sin and death and it clears the road. It makes a way for us to go to eternal life as part of God's kingdom, to be members of the kingdom. And Jesus makes it very clear that he is the only road that leads to life. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, he makes that statement clear, right? He's he making it clear that he is the one and only way to the Father, that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven. And church, I want you to think about that for just a moment. This is a passage that ruffles people's feathers. This is a passage that makes people mad, but I want you to think about it. If Jesus is not the only way to heaven, then he is no way to heaven, right? If Jesus is not the only way to heaven, then he is no way to heaven, right? If he's not the only way to heaven, then Jesus is a liar. Jesus makes it very clear, and that means that his life was a sham, that his teaching is irrelevant, and that his death was meaningless, right? If, if Jesus is not the only way to heaven, then we still have an impassable distance between us and God, a distance that no man or no effort or no works will ever bridge. Therefore, we are still condemned to death for our sins. Therefore, we are dead men and women walking, and there is no hope for anything outside of this life. But because Jesus was fully man, because Jesus was fully God, he did what nobody else could do. He lived a life that we couldn't live, and therefore he died a death that we couldn't die, so our sins could be paid for, that we could be made right with God forever, and that we could one day go to that place that he is preparing for those who have put their faith in him. This is something that only Jesus could do. However, the exclusivity of Jesus as the way and the truth and the life is what allows the Christian faith to be so open to everyone, no matter where we are. It doesn't matter where he meets us. It doesn't matter where we are at the time. What matters is where he takes us and where he leads us. By faith in Jesus, no matter what our background is, no matter what we've done in our past, no matter who we are today, through faith in Jesus, by the grace of Jesus and by the shedding of his blood, anyone, right, anyone who calls on the name can be saved. Anyone who calls on the name can be healed and restored and made whole and find life in Jesus. See, the Christian faith is not based on anything that we do or who we are. It is solely, solely based on who Jesus is and what Jesus did. During the first century when Christians, right, when followers of Jesus were first starting to be recognized as a faith, when the Romans were looking at them, this was actually one of the major criticisms. This is one of the reasons that the Romans looked down on the Christians, that Christianity was this weak religion because they would allow anybody in, right? They, they would allow anybody to come and worship God. It didn't make sense to them that we would have a God who would allow Jews and Gentiles to come together. 
who would allow slaves and senators to come and worship together, who would allow merchants and military leaders come together and worship the same God. They couldn't fathom that. They thought this was just a catch-all for anybody else who couldn't worship the other gods. But it's only because Jesus' grace and Jesus' love and Jesus' power is greater than anybody's deficiencies. Christ's followers can be inclusive because Jesus meets us where we are. I love what Paul tells the church in Corinth. He says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he starts listing off some of the things that make people unrighteous. He says the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, those that are greedy, drunkards, revilers, those that, are, that gossip, swindlers, those that cheat others. But then I want you to listen to what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. It doesn't say you did anything. You were just washed and you were sanctified and it was all done by the Spirit of our God. Jesus meets us in the middle of our messes. He meets us in the middle of our brokenness. And then guess what? He transforms us. Right? He meets us where we are. And then Jesus washes us and he cleans us and he justifies us. And he makes us right with God. And it's a process. It's a process. It's called sanctification. That is a nice way to say the process. Right? When we are walking along the path, it is that he is the way. He meets us where we are and he takes us to God. Right, the sanctification process, a fancy word that says that we're moving towards God. Church, listen to this. You can't stay where you are and follow God. Right? You can't stay where you are and follow Jesus. Right? There's movement, and that is the sanctification process where he takes us from point A to point B. There's no such thing as being stagnant or staying where you are. You can't do that if you're following Jesus. And as he's teaching, then Philip jumps in. He asks the second question, expressing the the heart that all humanity has had for all time. Can I see and can I know the living God? Right? Show me God. How many of you have screamed out those words? Right? And it is so true that in the times of our deepest despair, our hearts cry to see God even more. Right? When we are so confused and we are so lost, when our hearts are troubled, It is on our hearts that we just shout, show me God. We want an assurance that God is there. And it's the words and works of Jesus that show us the words and works of the Father in him. It is through Jesus that the words and works of of God were manifested. Right? It's in Jesus. It's in his life that the author of Hebrews writes, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. As we see God's grace and we see his mercy in Jesus' life. But we also see it in his death. We see that God was made known in Jesus' death. In Romans it says God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love was shown through the death of Jesus. We see a God in whom we can truly believe in. We see a God whom we can find peace in. We find a God who knows us. We find a God who we can find comfort in. 
the answers to all the anxieties, to all the worries that we face, to all the troubled hearts is assured knowledge. And this assured knowledge of God comes through knowing Jesus. This assured knowledge of God comes through following Jesus. For God has, for Jesus has revealed God. He's opened the way to the, to the Father for all eternity, for all of disciples. For all disciples, for all those people who love God. For all those people whose hearts are burdened to live like Jesus. Right, and then a disciple must also help others do the same. Disciple also helps other people love God and live like Jesus. As the disciples' hearts grow troubled over Jesus' departure, he assures them and he assures us that you will see God, that you will know God, and the way to see God and the way to know God is to follow Jesus. Right, the way to know God, the way to see his miracles, to know his works is to follow Jesus. And Jesus assures them that when we follow him, that when we walk with him, we will see the Father in his words. We'll see the Father in his deeds. And we'll come to know that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in him, right, by putting our faith in him, by trusting him, and that means that we give his words, his teaching, we give scripture the authority in our lives and we follow it. That when we do that, we will have life in Jesus' name. And then the second assurance that Jesus gives his disciples that night is that if you follow Jesus, you will not only know God, but Jesus assures them. And in reading this, Jesus assures us that if we follow Jesus, we will be perfectly equipped for God's purposes. Right, our, our primary tool for this, our primary tool to be equipped is prayer. You've heard it many times. The best thing you could do for somebody else is pray for them. The best thing you can do for yourself is to pray for you. And that is true if our purposes are aligned with God's purposes. It didn't take my kids long to learn that if they wanted their siblings, their brother or their sister to do something, all they had to do was say, Dad said... Right? As soon as they learned those words, they feel it gave them some type of authority and it often ended with results that they wanted until my kids were smart enough to realize that's not in line with God's heart. That's not in line with God's will. And sometimes when we think because we pray in Jesus' name that God has to act, that he has to do what we say and we treat him as if he's a genie, and we say, hey, God, I said the magic words. I said in Jesus' name. Now you have to do it. Now you're, in, you're entitled. You're, you, you must do it because I said it. It's not how it works. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us that that's how it works. Jesus' guaranteed of answered prayers is restricted to prayers that will achieve his aim. Right? That will glorify his Father, not glorify you. And that's what his prayers are restricted to. Jesus is not promised to answer all prayers for happy, wealthy, trouble-free living. He does promise to answer all prayers for giving glory to the Father, for giving glory to God. Right? When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are basing our prayers on his merit. Right? That means we say in the name of Jesus, we're saying, hey, this is based on his goodness. We base it on his nature. This is who Jesus is. This is his character. These things that I'm praying for, they're in line with the Son of God. They're in line with Jesus' will. They do not promote our selfish or our sinful desires. Right, when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying, your will be done, not mine. 
Right? When we say in Jesus' name, in essence we're saying anything I said that is not in line with Jesus, forget it. Right? We pray in Jesus' name, we are praying that your will be done, not mine. Now here's the amazing thing that when we pray and our hearts are aligned with his heart. Right? When our love for him leads us to follow him. When our love for him allows, like, makes us chase him and we find ourselves trying to, to get in with his heart's desire. When our desires are the same desires of his hearts and our words and our deeds reflect our heart for him and our love for him. And our prayers are aligned together with who he is and what he is doing. Watch out. Right? There's some amazing things that we would never, ever ever anticipate happening that happen when God's power comes behind our prayers. Not only will your prayers be, they empower you, but they will also empower your life. Right? Jesus will equip you, he'll empower you, and he will never leave you as you seek not only the heart, but as you seek the will of God, he promises to be with you. The Spirit imparts power for the service of Jesus and for the glory of God. People say, man, we go on mission trips all the time. People say, oh, I wish that stuff happened here. Well, are you trying to be empowered for your glory or for God's glory? Right? When we start seeking God's heart, when we align ourselves, guess what? That power is present. That power is here. And we see God do amazing things. The powers of the kingdom of God are available only through the faithful prayers in Jesus' name that are aligned with who Jesus is, that are aligned with Jesus' purposes. Right? Our prayers are not for Kendrick's wants. Our prayers are not for your health and wealth and your stardom and your glory. That is not the purpose of prayers. Right? We're not empowered to put on magic shows or draw attention to ourselves to make us feel more spiritual than other people's or to cause chaos in worship. These are not signs of the power of God. This is foolishness. Right? That would be like Selah dressing up like me and expecting her brothers to do what she says because they think God is doing it. That just does not work out well. That's, that's nuts. So we're not empowered to bring attention to ourselves or to get what we want. We are empowered by God to bring glory to God. It is that simple. Some will argue that the promises of verse 12 where it says whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. They, they take that interpretation to mean that they're going to do greater physical actions than Jesus did. But church, when we look at scripture, we have to look at the entire counsel of God's word. We have to put things together. We can't just cherry pick passages that make us feel good about ourselves or take things out of context. We have to look at what it means. In chapter five of this very gospel, Jesus explains how he's going to show greater works. He talks about what these greater works are and then he goes on to define greater works as giving life to the dead. Right? That is a greater work when we see death come, or life come from death. He's talking about spiritual life, having someone go from spiritual death to knowing Christ and having spiritual life. Greater things than these are not some physical signs, but they are things that accomplish the work and the purposes of the Father, the giving of life through Jesus. And it's through prayer that God changes our hearts and equips us to share the power of the gospel. It's through prayer that he gives us the words to say. It's through prayer that he shows us the deeds to do. 
It's through our love for others as he works in their hearts and brings others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that we see greater things. It is pretty amazing that Jesus allows us to, to join him, to follow him in mission at bringing life to a dead world. What is, what is greater than that? What could possibly be better than seeing somebody who's dead? Seeing somebody who's hopeless, seeing somebody who's broken and they have nothing at all. Hearing the gospel, coming to know Jesus and have life. Have, be restored and be made new. And we have a tangible picture of God's grace and life in the people that we are walking with and meeting with. Would you rather walk on water than see your child come to Christ? Right, would you rather turn water to wine than see your parents come to life in Christ? Right, would you rather multiply fish than see your friend come to life in Christ? Of course not. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. And as we walk with Jesus, our hearts are to see people come to know Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, and find life in his name and give glory to the Father. That is our purpose. That is what we are doing as we walk. And just before I close for just a minute, some people argue that the Spirit is dead today. Right? The Spirit is not available to the church today. That there is no sense of the Spirit. Church, you, you are an example of the Spirit being alive. I love you so much. Just let me finish before you get mad at me. We're all broken, right? We are all dysfunctional. We are a mess. And you look to your left and your right and you say, how in the world does God use them to reach people for his glory? Right? When you look at... I don't want to be mean. You don't have to look far. You can probably just look at the person next to you and find a hundred reasons why that would not be a good person for God to use. Right? But for whatever reason, okay, okay, I heard the wow. You could look up front and find a hundred reasons why God couldn't use me to reach. Right? I'll play the game, the illustration, right? But when we all get together, right, when we all get together and the power works, we see people that were dead come to life. Right, just in our church, just a, a, a few minutes ago, we actually, not a few minutes ago, we saw a video, but this week we had a, a, a child write down like, I need life in Christ. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm ready to give my life to Christ and we're getting to meet with him and talk to him and see how God is working in his life. Uh, Pastor Michael just shared with us that when we went out, man, look at our youth, they're wonderful. I can say this because my kids are in youth. They're not perfect. But God used them in Winchester, California to bring somebody to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Somehow God worked through their life and they manifested the love and the grace and the mercy and the life that comes with knowing him to somebody else. Right? It is through the power of the Spirit that we see those things. Man, I, I pray that we are all seeking and following God. I pray we're doing our best to do that but the truth is we're a mess. And God's power is still seen and felt as people come to life in Christ because for some reason he uses the church to share his glory with others. He uses the church to tell them the good news of the gospel and through us he breathes life into those who were dead. That is absolutely amazing. And there's proof that the, the spirit is alive. I heard it said one time, I've never forgot this, that the greatest miracle besides the resurrection 
is that God uses the church of broken people to reflect his glory to a lost world. Amen. And church, as we walk in obedience, completely dependent on his grace, right, we pray that his will will be done in his goodness and in his nature and in the character of Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus assures us that he will empower our prayers, that he'll empower our works to glorify the Father. And it's in this passage as Jesus is answering Thomas's and Philip's questions. Jesus assures his disciples right, as their uncertainty is, is becoming the norm, right, as that fear is popping up, Jesus assures his disciples that following him will lead them to knowing the Father. Right? Just, just keep following me. You guys are on the right track. Just follow me, and when I'm gone, you just keep following me, and then you'll be empowered by my Father to accomplish his purposes as we continue to seek and follow you. So you don't know any, what else to do when your life is falling apart, when the plan is not going the way that you want, right? And your deepest desire is you are calling, your deepest despair is you are calling out, God, show me who you are. Jesus says, follow me and you will see God, right? When you don't know what else to do, when you're not sure what else to do, Jesus says, follow me and you will see God, right? Follow me and you will be empowered by God, when we don't know what else to do, Jesus just assures us the one thing to do is to follow Jesus. When the only certainty is the uncertainty, Jesus assures us that we will be on the right path and be doing God's will if we just follow Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, we just open our hearts to you. Lord, we, we give you our hearts. We ask you to search our hearts Lord, as we face so many difficulties and so, many, so much confusion, Lord, we would just pray you would just grab our hearts and that you would make it as simple as following you, taking what we do know and taking those steps to follow you and that we would see you. Lord, we pray that as we search the scriptures, we would see you in, the, in Jesus. We would turn to you for not only comfort, but also for strength and wisdom and discernment that you would give us the power and the confidence that we could go and share the good news with Jesus and see you transform lives before us. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be here in LA, to be in this community and to share the good news with those in and around this community. We pray that they would not see Calvary Church. We pray they would not see me or our staff or our wonderful team of volunteers that just love on kids. We just pray they would see Jesus. Lord, we just love you. We thank you for our time together this morning. And it's in your son's precious name of Jesus that we ask all of these things, that it be in accordance to his will.